you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, everybody, we are back at the Huddle Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, the proud makers of QuickBooks, TurboTax, and Mint. I'm Steve White with my guy Jim Trotter. We are two-thirds of the Howard Mob, the other third Thomas Warren. Back on the ones and twos by himself, he's got the wheels of steel. And Jim, we are a couple days away from the Super Bowl. We're going to be joined by Super Bowl champion and Hall of Famer Derek Brooks, a former Buccaneer, uh, in just a few minutes. But leading up to the Super Bowl and all the hype and well, the hype is external because I'm here in Tampa. There's not a lot of folks here. But uh, <laughs> Commissioner Roger Goodell uh, had a few things to say, but it just—it was a real interesting kind of pullback that he did, Jim. You know, talking about the coaching diversity. Because let's start there. Because he was asked a couple really good questions by Lindsey Jones, the Athletic, and then Peter King of uh, NBC Sports. In fact, Jim, let's hear from the Commissioner Roger Goodell on that subject right now. I've said this to you all many times. I'm not sure there's an issue that we spent more time working with our ownership on. Our ownership is committed, um, focused on this. Uh, and, you know, we look at this as broadly as possible about we want to make the NFL, our clubs, more diverse. Uh, and so it's much broader than just head coaches for us, but the head coaches is important. And we put a lot of our policies and focus on that this year. Uh, as you know, we had two minority coaches hired this year. But it, it, it wasn't what we expected, and it's not what we expect going forward. So for us, um, we want to continue to, to look and see what went right, what went wrong. I think that has to happen with individual discussions with candidates, uh, both successful and unsuccessful candidates, the clubs, and try to understand you know exactly what did what went right and what went wrong. Uh, they're not the outcomes we wanted, and we're committed more than ever to make sure that we do that. Um, basically, saying, you know, what what are you, you going to do? Because this it hasn't worked. The increased Rooney Rule hasn't worked. All of these other talking tos you've given the owners haven't worked. And he basically said, well, I I guess we can keep talking to them. We're not going to stop, but we're we're trying. I mean, Jim, it's, it's clearly a case of we've taken the horse to the water, but the, the the horse doesn't always have to drink. Yeah, the thing I was most happy about is that he didn't trot out that pipeline argument again as to to why minority coaches aren't being hired. So the reality is now, again, we, you and I have said this for some time now, the league office has done everything it can do. The fact that it would even go so far as to incentivize this process says it's gone about as far as it can go. And... You know, Tony Dungy uh, wrote an open letter to the owners uh, this week, and in it he mentioned how 
uh, disappointed he was and where the league is at on this issue and that, you know, there was a point where progress was made and now everything has started to slide backwards. And really, it's on the owners. It's not on anyone else. And so what I am hearing as you talk to people now is if this is going to continue down this road, then the only steps left to try and make change are the same things that happened back at the, the turn of the century when legal action was threatened against the league, when Cyrus Mary and Johnny Cochran threatened to sue the NFL over discrimination. And a year later, I believe it was, the Rooney Rule was adopted. And over the next decade, we saw incremental change or incremental improvements as it related to, to coaching hires. The other thing I'm hearing now is that you know, there are organizations now that are talking about going to sponsors, NFL sponsors, and asking them if it is good business to do business with a company whose record right now on diverse hires is not good. So those are like the last and the extreme steps, but there are those who feel that that's what's coming if the owners um, do not make change. And look, the reality is, and Tony Dungy said this in his open letter, the most qualified people are not being hired at this point. And you can objectively say that based on resumes, experience, all those sorts of things. And so if you can objectively say that the, the most qualified are not being hired, um, someone needs to explain then why that's happening. Yeah, and look, that explanation's not coming because the people who are not hiring they, they they never explain they just kind of sit back like hey we got who we want blah 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 we're going to go to the next level we're going to move fast we're going to play at a high tempo all this other stuff you know kind of the traditional we're happy with the guy we hired lines you know there were there were you know go ahead jim no but it's like jimmy ray said to me um in an article i wrote earlier in the week that they don't have to answer to anyone there's no accountability and there are no consequences and as you know, Steve, until there are consequences, sometimes behavior doesn't change. And that's why I say it's getting to the point now where you have people, even within the league, who are saying dramatic steps are going to have to be taken potentially to make change. And that's something you don't always hear, um, that someone within the league, people within the league would say, you know what, it may take legal action. It may take threats against sponsors for owners to finally say, Something's wrong here. Yeah, look, and by the way, that was a fantastic article, Jim. You know, we we talked about NFL.com backslash Trotter. If you want to get a look at it, it is a fantastic read. Um, a lot of good opinions from Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich. You know, so two of the coordinators, two of the two offensive coordinators who are going to be coaching in the Super Bowl. And Jim, that's the one thing I don't want to hear any owner right now say, Well, I didn't know enough about this guy or that guy. Watch the Super Bowl. Okay, watch the Super Bowl. Todd Bowles, DC for the Bucks. Eric Bieniemy, OC for the Chiefs. Byron Leftwich, OC for the Buccaneers. Okay, the resumes are on display. Okay, someone's going to win a championship. You're not, you know, because you're at home. And so now you've got from now until another almost calendar year, if you're thinking about making a change or that's a possibility, to start doing your homework on these guys. Stop leaving it up to the hands of somebody else and start asking. That's what's amazing to me, how all of a sudden a guy can get hot over the final three months of the season because his defense is killing or his offense is killing or he's running a new wrinkle. But these guys' work has been on – Eric Bieniemy's work has been on display since last year's Super Bowl, and that's being lazy. That's being guys, lazy. Yeah. You haven't done your homework since then. Yeah, guys getting hired based on one season – I mean, it's just incredible. And then you have others who have a body of work and they get ignored. It's it's just, it's mind numbing. And that's why, again, I'm saying take the subjectivity out of it and just look at it objectively. And I always say, if you do blind resumes on some of these guys and you put up some of these minority coaches who have not been hired versus some of these white coaches who have been hired and we did blind resumes, there's no way or I should put it this way, it's very obvious which one is more qualified for the job based on resumes. So clearly there's something else beyond just qualifications taking place here. 
Well, as Todd Bowles said, we know what's going on when we spoke to him exactly. on the podcast. We know what's going on. And here's something we're going to bring uh, you brought up with Todd Bowles and something that was addressed uh, to Roger Goodell. And that was, of course, NFLPA President J.C. Treder said several weeks ago, hey, the offseason does not ever need to go back to what it was. Like Andrew Whitworth said, look, I could see coming in and getting you know your workout in, getting your conditioning in. We don't need to do the on-field work. Well, Roger Goodell said today that even though there's going to be continued negotiations with the Players Association, that virtual learning is going to forever be a part of the NFL because games have been competitive. Penalties are down. Guys figured it out. You know, coaches are saying, sure, some guys need some on-field work at some point. But, Jim, it really sounds like, again, maybe we won't have OTAs or maybe there'll be one day of on-field OTAs. There's going to be some type of of off-season change, which all sides seemingly can live with. Yeah, I, I think that there's a there's a potential middle ground here. You know, as Todd Bowles says as a coach, these young guys do need work. The ones who are transitioning out of college or the ones who haven't had much playing time. So I think there can be a middle ground where maybe guys with one or two years experience or who have not played an X number of games, I mean, d- define it any way you want. But those guys can maybe continue and get some on-field work in the offseason, whereas these veterans, whether you, you, you know, you're you um, four years in, three, four years in or more, they don't need to be on the field like that. Andrew Whitworth doesn't need to be going through walkthroughs or, or um, unpadded practices, if you will, during the offseason. So I do think there's an opportunity for a meeting of the minds here. Will it happen? I don't know. But as J.C. Treader and others have said, we're in a different world now. And this COVID offseason showed us that you can still get the job. Because remember, Steve, before the season, we were all like, this is going to be the sloppiest play we've seen probably ever in the NFL. Exactly. All of those things. And we didn't see that. So, if you, again, if you're being objective about it, then you have to look at the data and say it wasn't as bad as what we thought. Um, and therefore, there are ways when we talk about player safety to take some of the wear and tear off of these players' bodies and to give them time with their fa- more time with their families in the offseason. Yeah, look, we even spoke to some, I've spoken to some front office people saying there's no need for everybody to come in here five days a week during the offseason when they can spend two days a week in summer and have four-day weekends, you know, however they want to arrange it. So, again, there's going to be a lot of discussion organizationally and with the club. So lastly, Jim, before we get to Derek, a couple quick things that Roger Goodell talked about in terms of he said he would not project if there's going to be fans in the stadiums next year or if they're going to require vaccinations for fans or people um, who are on the field, you know, typically on the field. They just don't know yet based on data. First off, if vaccinations will be available. But they do like the fact that, oh, Jim's dog. Jim's dog is barking. She's happy. That's all right, Jim. Go play around the head. We love her. She's outside. She's outside. Uh, wants to play with the dog next door. So, all right. I love it. Your dog is great. Everyone, Jim's dog is fantastic. Just take his, take his ID. That's <laughs> all you see is German Shepherd pictures. Um, and you know, and, and you know, he also said what's interesting is that the international games are still scheduled. Okay, that doesn't mean that they won't be, but it sounds like they're going to take it up until April when they typically announce the schedule to decide what they're going to do and. 17 games, they're going to talk to the Players Association about it, but 17 games is definitely seems like it's in the offing starting in 2021. So a couple things right there. Another thing you talked about was how great the city of Tampa has had to deal with um, the Super Bowl. Not a lot of people here. No big tent pole events. And, Jim, our next guest is on the Tampa host committee. Um, Great man. Great person. Let's get to Derek Brooks and see what he has to say about trying to host a Super Bowl, about his Buccaneers, oh yeah, and the Hall of Fame, which will be announced Saturday at NFL Honors. All right, Jim, now we are joined by one of the all-time great linebackers, someone you helped put into a gold jacket in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Tampa Bay Buccaneer (laughs) Derek Brooks. I don't think I did much to put him in. I think Derek put himself in. 
It, it wouldn't have mattered if I was in the room or not. He was going into the hall on that first ballot because of his play. So many, many props to him. Derek, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Doing all right, guys. And you know what, uh, Jim, I always tell, like I tell Ira this, man. Yeah, you know, our careers, you know, gives you a resume, but still someone has to go in there and tell the story. So it's just not an automatic. Uh, honestly, I just feel that way. It's not automatic. So kudos to you guys, man, that's going in there grinding through this. And I can just imagine you got, you know, guys going against each other that you know are great players. And uh, trust me, if I'm asked to do this, I'm probably going to say no. <laughs> so you guys, really? I'm with you. <laughs> really? You guys, yeah, you guys have a tough job. And, and for me, I, I guess I'm just so – feel like I'm so close to the game and respect it so much. I don't know if I could separate my my fandom, you know, from the actual job that it would take to sit there and decipher through this and come down to the minor details in doing it. And I spoke to Coach Dungy about it before, you know, he accepted this position, you know, to take over, you know, for Dan and James. And, you know, he even struggled with some of that. But at the end of the day, Coach just felt – he owed it to himself to give back to the game uh, in this manner. And I told him, I said, Coach, you're a better man than me because I don't know. I'll find another way to contribute to the game than going into that room. <laughs> no, on a serious note, I did wonder how guys, former players, and even coaches would handle that. And to Tony's credit, without you know uh, violating any of the privilege of the room, one of the things he was in that room was very honest. Um, mm-hmm. And and I appreciate that about him. Because if a guy comes in there, if you were to come in and talk solely about your teammates, you know, and, and you know, glowingly about your yes. teammate and then kind of suspect about another guy, you might say, uh, is that the relationship or is that the truth? Exactly. You know? Yes. But and that's why I feel, yeah, yeah, Tony did a yeah. great job. And that's why I say I don't know if I could separate myself from that. But uh, at the same time, I would never uh, go without recognizing what you guys got to do despite the resume. I mean, even Tom Brady, we know he's he's going in, but still, someone's going to have to go in there and present the story and tell it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, up, hold up, hold no. up here. Hold up here, Derek. <laughs> no. Yes. Let me, yes. no, hold up, hold up. No, let me tell you what the presentation for Tom Brady is going to be when he gets in that room, whether I'm there or not. Someone will stand up and say, I present to you, Tom Brady, any questions? And then he will sit down. He or she will sit down. <laughs> that will be the end of the discussion, okay? And there might not be any questions. It might just be, I present to you, Tom Brady, and then that person sits down, okay? Seriously. Well, well Jim, at least that person had to say those five words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but... But, but Derek, Tom's not going into the class of 2035 the way he's playing right now. Yes, yes. I mean, hey guys, were you surprised when they asked him this yesterday, would he play until he's 45? I, I was not surprised at his answer. If they would have asked him 50, I think he'd have said yes. Uh, what I've ha- you know, had the privilege really these last eight months since Tom has been here was to come to you know appreciate his, his ability to focus and stay into the moment. You know, I've always heard about it, you know, whether it's through Peyton or teammates of his over the years that, again, his innate ability to do that and stay in the moment and stay so present despite his success. But to be here in Tampa and to see it a little bit more up closely and just talk to him, you know, throughout the year, uh, I was just ultimately impressed, honestly, by his ability to stay focused and, and to the moment and treat everything as if it's his first. And, you know, I thought I thought I was good at it, but I, I was really uh, appreciative of Tom doing that this year. DB, if I can, without without violating any privilege here, when, when a great player such as yourself sits down with a Tom Brady, who obviously, as Steve has mentioned, is, is there will be no discussion about the Hall of Fame. When you two get together in your private time and just talk, what is that conversation like? Uh, you know, I, I, it was more about, you know, and, I, and again, I, these are things I don't think he mind sharing. It was more about adjusting and him understanding that this is new territory for him. So in his mind, it was like he was a rookie all over again 
because he's only known one way, one city, one environment. And for him, it was discovering, hey, what's new about me? Where can I get better? New set of teammates, you know, having to go out of his way to, you know, learn teammates. Where before, you know, obviously he did it with new teammates in New England, but that environment was already set. He had to come here, learn a new staff, learn teammates, learn, you know, terminology, learn a city. I mean, think about it. His first probably week here in Tampa, he didn't know what it was like for people to just pull up to his house off of the water. He thought he would have all the all the privacy in the world. It wasn't the case. He thought he could just go to a park and work out and do all these things that he was previous to. And he, again, we, we laugh about it now, but it was just understanding, you know, those moments and discovering that uh, about himself. So it was more of the private conversations was, hey, how, do, how quickly do I adjust and how do I adjust and being open to new things. So those were uh, more of those discussions in our private moments. Derek, you know, it was interesting to me listening to both him and Byron Leftwich speak at the media day yesterday was Brady saying, like, Left is my coach. And Left saying, oh, no, Brady wanted to be coached. When someone mm-hmm. from the outside say, hey, Brady has played for so long. He's had this illustrious career. He's going to tell Left what he wants to do. And he was like, no, no. I'm the player and you're the coach. And, and again, you've got to see it from a much closer perspective mm-hmm. than I have. But what about him, again, setting everything aside to be coached by a guy he used to play against, um, yes. who's who's just two years into this coordinator thing and setting ego aside to the point where now it's worked as where they're playing in a Super Bowl? Yeah, I think, again, that's where they didn't have the privilege of an offseason and a preseason to work through that. And I would be remiss without mentioning Clyde Christensen, also the quarterback coach, being a part of that communication. And give Coach Arians a lot of credit. He stepped back and he said, guys, my hands are off of this. It's your relationship, your offense. You three got to figure it out for the best of our team. Versus some coaches may have jumped in, you know, as a head coach and, and had more you know, of a direct approach. But give give Coach Aaron's credit for trusting in Tom, Clyde, and Byron to figure this out together, where it was communication of the offense, whether it was game planning, et cetera. You give credit, you know, to them. And as I said before, that's some of the things that people on the outside learned about Tom this year is his willingness to be coached by someone new. Again, he was under, whether it was Bill O'Brien or whether it was Josh, he had time to build those relationships up. Where here, he hit it on the run. And by him being that open to do that, you know, again, man, I was extremely impressed with that. It was, uh, it kind of reminded me when, when Mike Tomlin came in to coach John Lynch, coach out secondary when Mike Tomlin was here and Lynch was three years older, older than him. And, and Joe Barry was my linebacker coach. And, you know, I was the same age as Joe Barry. So I can relate to some of those things where a player uh, really had to humble himself and a coach having to step forward and claim that real estate. And again, I give credit for those two for spending the time to work it out because I believe when they figured it out, probably during that halfway point of the season, this offense took off and they haven't looked back since. Derek, how important is it for a player of your level of ability, Tom's level of ability, to be challenged? Um, Because the one thing I always heard about Tom in New England is you better bring something new to him every week, if not every day, or he's going to start to tune you out. Can you speak to that from a player of your ability about how important it is to be challenged by a coaching staff and to not just say, Derek's got it, he's a Hall of Famer, he's good, you know, that they got to bring something to you? Yeah, you do have to do that from a staff standpoint. And I think also from the player standpoint, uh, I think this team, Tom saw the talent on a daily basis of what this team and what these assets was capable of doing. And I think he had to put him, himself in a position to push Mike Evans, you know, push Chris Godwin, you know, push even OJ when he was healthy and Cameron. And then we obviously Gronk coming in, gave him some, you know, a familiar face, but also Gronk was away from the game for a year. 
So it was a reset button for him as well. So I think this type of offense was challenging enough to Tom because Tom wasn't used to the risk it, no, what is it, what is it, no risk it, no biscuit uh, approach in, in all the downfield uh, home run hitting plays. He wasn't used to that. And again, he had to prove to himself that he still had enough arm strength for this offense. At the same time, Byron only knows one offense, and that's Coach Arians. So I think they both had to go through a learning process where, hey, we can still have the best of both worlds. We just got to figure out where it fits in the game plan on the week-to-week basis. And to your point, Jim, I think that was enough to challenge Tom on a mental basis and also on a physical basis as well. Hey, hey, Derek, it wasn't no risk and no biscuit when Tom said, what? I don't have backside protection help. <laughs> right. I left tackles got to block this guy one-on-one. Oh, no. No, no, I'm not good with that. That's what that was about. But, hey, I want to I flip it to the other side, to your side of the ball, um, because throughout this postseason, I don't think it, it's, it's amazing. I don't think it's been talked about enough. This defense is getting takeaways at an alarming rate. Yeah. We saw what they did to the Saints. We saw what they did to the Packers. Devin White, the guys in the secondary, the pressures that Shaq Barrett and JPP are getting, and then the offense is converting them into points. I mean, 41 points off of off of takeaways so far in three, in three postseason games. But what is clicking so well with this defense? Because all three levels, even with injuries at safety, are functioning at like an optimum level. Yes, uh, Steve, you go back to the second half of the Atlanta Falcons game, week 12. And they came out that second half and they was flying around and they forced on the, I believe, the first four drives of Atlanta, they forced three turnovers and the offense pulled away. And this team really hasn't looked back since. They've been undefeated ever since that half. And I look at the key component. One, they've stayed healthy. Outside of Devin uh, missing a little bit of time due to COVID, all of these guys have stayed healthy. Vita Vader coming back last week was a very big difference in that Packer game and taking away the running game. And that was probably a piece that was missing was the run defense wasn't as tight as it needed to be. And some of that showed against the Washington Redskins in, in the playoffs. But Coach Bowles. Washington football team. Washington football team, Derek. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Washington football <laughs> team. I, I apologize. I apologize to Martin Mayhew. Uh, all right. Apologize. But. To my point, I think Coach Bowles has has really done a great job of in-game adjustments. And I think that's one of the things that's probably been overlooked. Whether it was waiting against the Washington football team, waiting to the fourth quarter to blitz that young quarterback and force turnovers, or going into the Saints game and taking away the deep ball and putting pressure on Drew Brees, or even going against Green Bay, loading up that box and taking away the running game and making Aaron throw every down. I think they've done a great job of making these adjustments. And to your point, they have made quarterbacks pay for the mistakes. Interceptions are interceptions. They're not pass breakups. When the guys have a quarterback in the pocket, they're bringing him down for sacks. They're not letting him throw the ball away. So those are going to be critical, obviously, going against uh, Patrick Mahomes in this offense this week. But I think, you know, when they say turnovers come in bunches, sacks come in bunches and they match up together and you win the turnover battle. That has definitely been the case for this Buccaneer defense. Derek, give me a scouting report on, on Devin White. Uh, Devin White, I think he's, he's matured so much this year. Uh, and I think a lot of that growth, you give a lot of credit to Levante David. And I think they've become a one, one of the best one, two tandems in the league right now. But this young man was drafted to come in and make impact plays. That's what he did at LSU. And you're starting to see his game expand where he's using that speed to go sideline to sideline. He's understanding what zone spacing is in a zone defense. You know, his man, you know, he's always been a great blitzer in understanding that component because he was a former running back. So he understands that. But now I think really the last six weeks, Coach Bowles has positioned him and he's adjusted his game where now he can use that speed and that ability as an asset because he's understanding more zone spacing. And you see that with the interceptions that he's received and he's gotten. 
So I think uh, he's going to continue to get better because he definitely has the big playability. But at the same time, I think Levante David compliments him well, and they probably probably one of the best one-two punches right now in tandem in the league. I'm curious if you were if you were on Tampa's defense right now, knowing that Kansas City's offensive line is banged up. What would you expect from them in terms of how they try and protect? Because Tampa's been generating so much heat up front, and Coach Bowles, when he does bring heat, if you're the Bucks, what would you anticipate from from Kansas City at this moment, knowing that the line is banged up? They're going to run the football. They're going to have to come out and establish a run. Uh, think about this for one second. The Kansas City Chiefs got back in, got back in the game in last year's Super Bowl against the 49ers by running the football. And I think that was the Eric Bieniemy influence on Andy Reid and his offense that Coach Bieniemy has not gotten a lot of credit for. I still don't think he's gotten a lot of credit for that. But they got back into the Super Bowl by running the football, and that allowed them to set up the downfield passing and big plays that they were able to hit in the fourth quarter. So I think with two banged up, with two tackle positions that has questions, they're going to have to come out and establish the running game. And that, to me, sets the stage on how they're going to have to protect Patrick. Because if you get the Buccaneer defense back on their heels and now they can't dictate tempo, they can't dictate the skies and dictate pressure, then that's, <laughs> you know, that's not going to bode well for Kansas City. So I think they're going to have to come out and try to establish the run and then get, get some winnable downs well, now Patrick and the play calling become an asset against the Buccaneer defense. Tell me this, Derek, and, and this is kind of your specialty too because the speed at linebacker that the Bucs have. We see when teams try to deny the Chiefs deep, try to deny the run game, Patrick's got run lanes. Mm-hmm. Do you think those run lanes can be big enough there for him? Because, I mean, third and 10 is nothing to him. Right? Third and 10 is nothing to the Chiefs. It's nothing to Mahomes. Do you think the speed of linebackers with Levante and Devin being three-down linebackers kind of minimizes the potential for him to scramble or to create and do a little shovel pass, kind of last-minute dump-off pass to a running back or to Kelsey? Uh, I think when they force Patrick in, into this position, they got to tackle him. They got, and, and I think Patrick understands the last time that he ran, you know, he got tackled very physical and had to come out of the game. So I think if he runs the football and he does a slide, they got to make it a physical tackle and make him feel, make them feel him <laughs> when, when he does do that. And another key, uh, is Kansas City going to get yards? I mean, just keep the ball in front of you. Play great red zone defense. Try to help the field help you dictate tempo. When you get down into the red zone, now – that kind of neutralizes Tyreek Hill's speed where it's not vertical, it's horizontal. And as it comes horizontal, you got to corral the football and tackle him. When you get down in the red zone, it gives you a better chance to double-team Kelsey versus trying to double-team him in the field. So I look at this as if they can play great red zone defense and when Patrick runs the football, account for him and make it a physical tackle, then obviously those are some of the things that they can do. I mean, that's what we, when when we played explosive offenses such as the Rams back in our day, we say we're going to make them go through our red zone and we're going to make it a physical football game when they tap. We know they're going to get some yards, but make sure you bring them down hard. Make sure they don't want to catch it again and to anticipate a physical game. And that's what we were able to do. We didn't go in with no exotic defenses that we tried to put in at the last minute. We just played sound defense ourselves, made them go through our red zone if they had to score. And you look back over the years, we had our fair share of success against the uh, greatest show on turf. <laughs> Except for the one game we lost uh, with the NFC Championship game. We were winning, yes. <laughs> you know, we went six to five, you know, before Ricky Paul. Before Ricky Paul. Ricky yeah, Paul. <laughs> the only touchdown he scored off the side of his helmet that year. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> hey, Derek, do do me a favor here. I I, I know you're down in Tampa. The Super Bowl's getting ready to happen. You won a title back in the 0-2 season, I believe it was. Can you take us behind the curtain 
of what it's like, what that game is like, what preparation is like that maybe we on the outside don't see? Um, give us some flavor. Uh, for us, that was the last year that we didn't have the bye week when we went to the Super Bowl. And ever since then, they've implemented the bye week as a permanent thing for the Super Bowl. And let me tell you guys, I'm so glad we did have the bye week. With those personalities that we had on that team, <laughs> we needed to stay in football mode. We didn't need to change a thing. Wait, so, I can think of one in particular there, Derek. Yeah. I can think of 12. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to protect the innocent here. But for, for <laughs> us, I was so glad that we went from, you know, the high of, of defeating Philly on the road that we didn't even have time to think about that, guys. We shifted into game mode because we had to come back and get ready to fly out to the West Coast. So we basically stayed in the same as a game week, and that really helped us from a, a mentally focused standpoint that everything was routine. Nowadays, teams got to, they got to, you know, take care of everything once you win the championship. You spend the first days with logistics. So you got to hit the reset button to start over the preparation. And then you don't want to over prepare because you got two weeks. So it's not, so most teams try to treat it like a bye week, but it's kind of hard to do that because you're the center of attention in terms of the event of the Super Bowl. And that's what players really have to fight against and understand you are here to play the game of the Super Bowl. Everybody else, they're here for the event of the Super Bowl. And that is the hardest thing that players have to fight against family, against friends, against even other teammates. They have to fight that mentality to do it. So as you get closer to the game, it makes it easier to wire in because now everything is all about football and, and you try to eliminate, you know, all those distractions that come with it. But if I'm taking everybody behind the curtain, I would just simply say that the players really have to wire in and focus on the game of the Super Bowl, which is very different than the event of the Super Bowl. No, but I go back and look at that game, and and your defense scored more touchdowns than Oakland's offense in that game. You guys <laughs> made it look so easy. I mean, how much of an advantage did you actually have with Gruden having come from Oakland the previous year, knowing that Raiders offense, knowing that mm -hmm. system, Seriously, how mm -hmm. much of an advantage did you have because of that? Yeah, we had the advantage of Coach Gruden knowing their personalities. And during that week when John, you know, played quarterback and, and rumor has it that he sliced our defense, that is not true. We had to <laughs> let him we we had to let him complete passes in order to get out of practice. Okay. <laughs> we, so we let him complete passes. But John he did a good job of, of setting setting up and letting us know Oakland's personality, such as, hey, when you show Rich Gannon this, his personality is going to dictate what he's going to do. Put Jerry Rice in this situation, this is how he's going to respond. Whether it was Tim Brown, Charlie Garner, you know, he knew their defensive personnel and their personality. Now, yes, he's, you know, he said, hey, these are plays that you see on film and terminology and and be honest with you, some of that, some of it worked, but most of it didn't. They changed up their terminology because they knew, but they couldn't change their personalities. And it showed. And, and Coach Gruden's final message to that to our defense before we hit that field was, if you don't make make Rich Gannon pay for mistakes, he's going to come back and kill us. If he throws a ball up, you can't make it a pass breakup. You have to make it an interception and do something with it. Don't give Rich Gannon a second chance. And we didn't. When he put the ball up and we had a chance to go get it, man, we turned him into interceptions and obviously uh, ended up scoring touchdowns. But that was, for us, that was a key, understanding their personalities and making, you know, quite frankly, making Rich Gannon pay for mistakes. See, before we, we were talking about, you know, prepping for the event, the two-week issue, this Super Bowl is so unique, right? Because Tampa's home. Yes. You, got, you guys aren't, you know, the team's not having to travel. And because of COVID, the Chiefs are home all week. They're not coming out until the day before the game. So it's like a regular season road trip. So distractions 
are, are really minimal. But I want to I want to get back to Gruden because now we've seen him come back again in this mm-hmm. new act of his, and they're they're on a hamster wheel, right? Yes. <laughs> Do you think? I mean, because you know you saw some things this year, like wow. I mean, their offense is at some points looked great, but then you got to the second half of the season and it was all over. Everything was all over the place. Defense never settled in. What do you think it's going to take for John to reestablish himself, or, or or can he do it? Yes, I think he he can do it. And uh, in, in all fairness to John, he had to adjust that first year coming back and understand that this was a different NFL than when he had left as a coach, and very different than what he was covering as a broadcaster. And it took him, I, I believe it took him really a year to understand that and then understand dealing with today's player on a daily basis. I, 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 can, I can't even count the number of times I talked to him and it's like, I wish I had a, a Terry Brooks in my locker room that, that could deal with all these things and I could stay focused in on coaching. You know, he had to understand that players were concerned, you know, other things outside of football was important to his team. And he had to adjust and understand that. But I think one of the big moves that coach made this offseason was making the changes in his coaching staff, bringing in Gus Bradley, redoing the defense. So you look at that staff now, it's pretty much 80% of guys that John has coached with in the past. And that, to me, gives me a lot of confidence that now that he has his staff really put together the way that he wants it, now I think they can make a serious challenge, you know, to the Chiefs atop of the AFC West. Uh, they do uh, have some young talent that need to to grow, and, and I think Mike is doing a good job, to be honest with you, with John, in filling in the pieces. So now that I think they have a really solid staff solidified, I think them to uh, really challenge the Chiefs. Now, I'm not saying they're going to dethrone them, but they showed this year that not only that they could play with them, but they could beat them. So I think look for them to take uh, another step next year towards turning around, around the Raiders franchase. Tell, tell, tell him, yeah, tell but, him real quick, Derek, not to take a victory lap after a regular season victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's probably one of those things that they uh, they, they do regret uh, that they got caught up in the emotions of. But uh, you know, again, you live and you learn, right? <laughs> well, it, it's interesting to me that the one piece that they're missing is the one piece that they gave away that they have not been able to replace, and that's that edge rusher. And they keep coming back to that as being a problem for them, that they can't find a way to generate pressure, consistent pressure on the quarterback. Well, you had a guy there that you could have done it, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm wrong here. I know you're close to John, but I'm going to say this and I'll use political terms to make it easy to understand what John and Mike Mayock did to me is what Donald Trump tried to do to Obama. It's like (laughs) wipe everything away that Obama had put in place. They came in and tried to wipe away everything that Reggie McKenzie had put in place. And that's how I view it. And they haven't recovered from that. So anyway, I don't want to put you on the spot with that, Derek. I'm going to let that go. That's just my commentary on it. So, um, <laughs> well, But let me ask you. I, go ahead. I, I will say ahead. this. I, I was shocked when that happened. Okay. I, I sat back and I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how I took it. And obviously, uh, the results speak for themselves. They deserve judgment. Yes, sir. Let me ask you this: This is probably the hardest question you're gonna get. Maybe the easiest. What's What's harder, hosting a Super Bowl in your hometown as a retired Hall of Fame player, or actually playing in that game? <laughs> You know what, Jim? No, with with it's not even close. It's playing in a Super Bowl, man. I, if I I joke about this, but if I knew when I accepted to be co-chairman of our host committee, if I'd have known how much work it would have been, I probably would have said no, or I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't have said I would not have said yes as quickly as I did. <laughs> Let's just say that. Uh, but uh, for me. It's allowed me a chance to to grow myself personally and, and earn a lot of business equity, uh, not just in this town, but even in the NFL circles where they've had a chance to see me outside of being a player and sit in a decision-making seat 
in whether I'm strategically planning, whether I have an execution strategy, well, I've had to be part of a team that has to pivot daily because there was no blueprint for us to put on a Super Bowl in a health pandemic. So we had to rewrite the rules and hopefully LA and Vegas, they get a chance to take our blueprint and learn from it because we don't know where we'll be in 2022 or 2023. So at least we've given them a head start. At the same time, I think we position ourselves to earn the right when the bids come up again, that Tampa get a lot more serious consideration than we did before. Because we stepped in when the NFL asked, we stepped in and took the challenge of taking on this Super Bowl when obviously LA wasn't ready. And I think we've done the best that we can in planning for every possible scenario and making this Super Bowl as safe as possible uh, under the best health concerns there are, but yet still creating as much as we can the same experience for everybody, even though we got reduced capacity across all boards. And people say, oh, isn't it a shame that the Bucks made history and we don't have a full stadium? And I say, guys, why not? Why look at it like that? Let's look at it as, hey, our Buccaneers did the first part of history. Who knows if they'd have done it under any other conditions? They did it under these conditions. And if they go out and win, it doesn't matter how many people are in that stadium. It's going to be enough celebration around town for everybody to participate. And we hope they ride the same momentum, man. Our, our, our Lightning won the Stanley Cup. You know, our Rays fell a couple games short of defeating the Dodgers. And and hopefully uh, if the Bucks are able to get it done, you know, we'll consider ourselves, you know, the true championship town. Ho, 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 ho. Hey, hey, hey. I live in L.A. now. <laughs> L.A. ain't going to let that happen, Derek. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything. I'm in San Diego, so I can't speak on it, you know? <laughs> well, Jim, we represent you guys because that's when we won our Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I know you did. I was there. I remember. Hey, Derek, I will say this. I'm in Tampa, and, and it's amazing what the city has done. Because yeah. it looks, I mean, physically, it looks like a regular Super Bowl with the signage, with mm-hmm. the event stages and tents and things like this. Um, you know, you know, it's hard to get everybody to comply with social distancing and things like that. It's probably getting a little bit more intense as you go. But I mean, it's it's amazing to see things seem so the regalia, like yeah, as you said, it's an event still going on when, we, when we've got this cloud of fear over. So mm-hmm. salute to you and the people of Tampa and in the local political leaders to, to pull off um, what this has done. Now, I do want to change gears on it because I do want to get, as someone who's as astute as you, as a player, has so many strong convictions, something we're seeing play out in real time in the NFL right now, and that's player leverage. And, and if he has, mm-hmm. that's Deshaun Watson. By him yeah. saying, hey, I'm out. I'm letting everybody know I want out. This isn't me just asking for a trade. This is a game of chicken. I don't care who you hired as coach or whatever, either you get rid of me or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna torpedo this this whole thing. You know, he hasn't said it in those terms, but we get what's mm-hmm. going on. What do you when you look at that situation, first off, what do you think about it? And is this because he is a quarterback, is this one of the few players, and he's a great quarterback, who can exercise that type of leverage over a franchise? Because we see it in the NBA and other sports, but you just don't see it in the NFL. Well, I, I would say this that I look at this as where is there an opportunity for both sides to look at this as recognizing each as partners? And how do you play to that leverage where everybody wins? And maybe you look at how there are partnerships in terms of players and, and owners in the, league, in the NBA league office when it gets to executing you know, certain strategies and showing more of a united front when it gets to that. And maybe there are some learning from it. On the other hand, you know, is it now that you've hired someone and David Culley, who now has an opportunity to show his leadership skill and he's been known as a player's coach, can he pull this off in repairing a relationship clearly that he's walking into hot fire? Does he have enough water to cool this down and earn the trust of a player and get in between that relationship when it gets to owners? So I look at this as 
one is is this enough players uh, who have this type of influence uh, in the NFL? I don't know because we have 1,800 players and there's a very small pot of players. And you look at this position and I ask myself, if this wasn't the quarterback position, would this even be a discussion when it gets to that? Again, I'm anxious to learn, anxious to learn the learning from that. But I think Deshaun has taken a position of uh, now everybody has put equal focus on that in terms of attention. And I want to see it play out, you know, on both sides, because I don't know who wins, but I do know this, something needs to be prepared. And I'm not, I'm not of the mindset to say if Deshaun is, is traded, that this is going to be a trend. I don't know, because I just said, who in terms of players have this type of leverage and who in terms of players and owners relationship has been this damage? Not, not very many. At the same time, I want to look at this as maybe this is probably one of those times where ownership has to step up and look at the player in a different light and not just an employee, but maybe as a partner because they put the player in this position, the player to put himself. And again, I think he's, you know, bringing a certain level of accountability to, hey, you guys said this, and I'm going to hold you to accountable to what you said to me. You know, Derek, I want to I want to ask you this, too, about thinking outside the box. We have seen instances in recent years in the league where it happens. Let's go back to San Francisco hiring John Lynch as general manager with no GM experience or personnel experience. Let's go to Houston talking about interviewing Josh McCown for the head coaching job with no coaching experience. You have executive experience from owning an arena football league team and whatnot. I want to put this out there now. Does Derek Brooks have interest <laughs> in in the NFL, because anyone who listens to this podcast is going to hear <laughs> you know this game, you know the history of this league, you know personnel. Is there interest on your part? Man, Jim, I thought I was going to get off this call without you going down that no. road. <laughs> no. I know you did. I know you did. I know you did. Uh, guys, I, I'll, I, I can't share this. Uh, just from where I sit with, with my family, uh, the teams that, that I've talked to uh, behind the scenes, I told them that right now I'm just not prepared for that commitment uh, here with where my family is with obviously my son at Florida State and, and finishing up his career to my daughter, you know, a pretty good little softball player here in, in high school here in Tampa. I'm just not ready for that type of commitment right now to invest into that and put my family in that position. And the things that I do right now with the NFL PA and NFL as an appeals officer, uh, they both have allowed me to lean in in terms of access uh, and influence to give back to this game. And I thank them for that because I've, had a chance to elevate this position as an appeals officer to make sure that our relationships across all fronts, whether it's players, whether it's owners, whether it's officials, et cetera, I've had a chance to be a part of that process. And again, extremely excited and satisfied with that. Uh, at the same time, I have enough friends and colleagues that are running teams now uh, that I consult with. Matter of fact, I probably need to start sending them invoices. <laughs> but uh, again, I get a chance to to really talk to them, you know, and help them grow and know and be a sounding board. And guys, uh, I have I have a great job working for Mr. Vinnick, you know, in our Tampa Bay Lightning uh, over in our corporate and business development and running the team. So. You know, right now, you know, Derek Brooks, you know, I'm fine, but we'll, we'll see what the future holds uh, for me. But I have t I have shared, you know, with teams, and I've even shared with colleges uh, that asked me uh, to come be an athletic director. I just told them right now in the space and place that I sit, uh, I can't make that commitment because I know me. I'm going to dive in 1,000 percent 
and something will have to suffer. And I'm not willing to put my family in that position, uh, not right now in my life. Well, I do know when you do do it, he's going to be fantastic. <laughs> hey, and, and Jim, hey, Derek, me and Jim both to let you know, Howard University has a softball team. So <laughs> when your daughter is ready, <laughs> when your daughter is ready. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, you know. Yes, All right. Yeah, hey. To the Mecca. hey, my yeah, wife we- does. Hey, my wife loves the HBCUs, baby. She's all about the historical black colleges. There you go. Make it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> hey, oh, man. Yes, sir. We're getting, ready, we're getting ready to let you off the hook now, now that Jim, <laughs> Jim got, got his question. <laughs> hey, but real quick, as we started, go ahead, Jim. No, no, I'm just saying I'm always looking for good brothers to come into oh, yes. the league and, yep. and do some positive things. So, and anyone who talks to Derek knows that he is about his business and that he understands mm-hmm. this game. He under, he can see it from a player standpoint. He can see it from management standpoint, having owned an, an arena league team. So he gets mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's why I say I think he would be a valuable asset if he were to sit in that chair one day for one of these clubs. Well, thank Excellent. you, Sam. I appreciate I it. I would, too. Hey, and Derek, since we started this conversation with the Hall of Fame, we know Saturday um, the final results are going to be announced at NFL Honors. Yes. Jim is Jim was part of the process once again. But just your thoughts on the eight people who are going to be joining you in, in Canton and football immortality. Mm-hmm. We don't know who they are, but just some thoughts mm-hmm. on some of the people, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, of the modern era guys, but but just some <laughs> of the some of the folks you know, who you think yeah. maybe should go in or who you're, you're looking towards, um, mm-hmm. you know, again, joining you in that bus room. Well, uh, you know, I, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, and, and Jim, no, and I thank Jim, uh, Steve, for, you know, allowing me to, to really uh, have a discussion with him about, you know, John Lynch, Rondé Barber, even Simeon Rice. And it, I'm and all these voters know that I'm openly, I hate to use, use the word campaigning, but I'm openly asking questions and giving information about my three teammates who I think are deserving uh, to be uh, really in that room and selected to have a gold jacket. And man, if anybody's on the cuffs, I think John Lynch uh, would be that. And what that, what, how perfect that'll be if it's John or, or Rondé or both here in Tampa, Florida, Super Bowl 55 of all Super Bowls, and they are selected to have a gold jacket would just be, again, more just enough icing on, on the cake uh, for that. And, you know, obviously there are others, but I just feel, you know, with my three teammates and I've seen what they've done measured against the other greats of this game that are gold jacket members, uh, that they are deserving of that. And I, I understand that, you know, even for Jim, it's a little bit different and not having that, you know, personal sea feel and touch to get the temperature of a room. And, and like I say, even for them, not even knowing, you know, honestly, I think it's unfair <laughs> that you guys don't know, uh, but only David Baker and, and a couple others do. But uh, that doesn't diminish the process. And again, if, if my teammates are allowed to, you know, have that bus and join us and Ken, I will be over ecstatic, you know, about that. But again, uh, kudos to you guys, uh, Jim, again, for being able to pivot and make adjustments to this process as well. And, and I want to, you know, even thank uh, President Baker because each year he tries to adjust this process to stay current with the game. And it took a while, uh, to even start that process of change. But I think, you know, you guys as selectors, you know, keep sending him, because we, I'm on the board. And so keep sending information on how we can get better, how can, we can stay relevant and current, you know, with the current game, even though we're the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, we have to stay current and relevant and be ever-changing too. And see, Steve, this is the reason Derek does not want to be on that committee. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you right now, hold on. If he were on that committee, someone would say to him, Derek, we got one spot left. We got John Lynch and we got Rondé Barber. Who are you putting in? 
Yes. And Derek would have to answer that question. That's why he does not want to be on that committee. No, no, man. Hey, right there. Hey, you know what? I'll probably write my name, write it, and hey, here it goes on the sheet of paper and walk out of the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Hey, well, Derek, once again, you, you, the people on the host committee, the city of Tampa, just doing a fantastic job of setting us up for Super Bowl 55. I know you're a proud Buccaneer, um, a great Hall of Famer, and the father of a future Howard Bison. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> oh, man, it's my pleasure, man. And again, obviously, uh, enjoy you know, listening to you guys and obviously read every piece uh, that you guys write. So you guys, you know, keep being trendsetters yourself. I appreciate you, Derek. I know it's a busy week for you. So taking time out for the huddle and flow means a lot, man. Thank you. All right. No problem, guys. Again, can't wait to see you. Steve, a team who needs a general manager one day, uh, Derek Brooks is someone I think would do a phenomenal job when he's ready. He's just, I think you hear in this interview just how thoughtful he is, how intelligent he is, and he brings in a business aspect and a player aspect, um, or he would bring a business aspect and a player aspect to that position. So, um, you know, I got to thank him for taking time out of his week to spend with us because, as you know, Super Bowl week can be pretty hectic. And to have Todd Bowles and Derek Brooks both carve out some times for the huddle and flow major thanks and respect to them yeah mad love to, to to both of them look one thing i loved about you know derek and first off i think you know you talk about general manager he'd be a great team president too you know, oh absolutely he'd be a great owner he'd be a yes be a great owner. <laughs> pretty please let's make that happen but the one thing i love about him and this is like the linebacker the football player and when he was talking about patrick mahomes Saying, yeah, if Mahomes scrambles out of the pocket, the Buccaneers defenders, they need to let him know. They need to let him feel them. So, in other words, <laughs> go ahead and rack and ring him up a couple of times, stick him a couple of times, knock the wind out of him, and let him know, hey, you know, you may not want to cross that bridge next time you come down this way. So, I, I just how- love that football player in him. Absolutely. But how good was it, too, to hear him break down the game? from his vantage point in terms of his experience, not only playing in the Super Bowl, but playing against, let's say, a high-power offense, that sort of thing. Those are the kind of things I could just sit back and listen to all day to hear how a great player's mind works in those situations and how they would attack and 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 to call on their experiences. I just, I'm just always, those times I'm so thankful whenever we have an opportunity to just sit back and learn from these guys, you know, the true greats. So, again, thank you to Derek. Um, it was awesome. Yep, Jim, and why don't you go ahead and bring us home because we got a Super Bowl to get to. Finally. So we, again, thank you for your support. We thank you for subscribing. We thank you for leaving us comments, telling us what you want to hear, who you would like to hear from, what issues you like you would like addressed. Because when you do that, we're able to give you more of what you're funkin' for. And yes, y'all, just because there's a Super Bowl and the games are stopped, will stop being played, that does not mean the huddle and flow is going away. Jim and I and Thomas are going to be here as long as you want us here. And one of the reasons we're going to be here is because of our great sponsor, Intuit, proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. They're keeping us afloat. We're going to be here for you all because this is what we do for Jim Trotter. I'm Steve Weich, Thomas Warren on the ones and twos. We are the Howard Mob, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.